Hey everyone! In case you haven't heard, we're changing things up this week. Instead of a Rakhatima episode, we're releasing something else we think you'll love. Intro to D&D, a crash course in some of the basics of the game, which was originally released on our Patreon. If you find yourself struggling to follow what's going on in Rakhatima because you don't have a lot of experience with D&D, then this episode is for you. Go ahead and listen to it now, no matter where you are in the story. I promise there aren't any spoilers. And even if you are a TTRPG expert, there are stories and insights in here that we think you'll appreciate. After this, we'll be back on our normal schedule, so episode 9 of the Rakatima campaign will come out in two weeks. All right, everyone. Enjoy. Two interracial couples on a quest where fantasy and the real world collide. This is When Crit Happens. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on When Crit Happens. Today marks the world premiere of our first ever Crunch of the Die. Crunch of the... Dice. Crunch of the die? Crunch I don't of the know. dice. Crunch of the die. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I truly don't Well, how does actually... one die crunch? I feel like it has to be multiple dice. Otherwise, they don't make a crunching noise when they're banging. Or... Do I need to get my dice and pour them out? I don't out? even know. I don't know what is you're it... saying. A crunch of the die, crunch of the dice. How about you, listeners? You listening? <laughs> how about you weigh in on this? Yeah, tell is us. Is this segment called Crunch of the Die or Crunch of the Dice? <laughs> Either way, this is a segment <laughs> idea that came up on our main feed. It's a place to get into the nitty-gritty rules of D&D. So it's uh, quite ironic that you're getting me, the D&D noob, Kylie Brinkman, she, <laughs> her, as your host today. But luckily, I am joined by my co-host, my lovely partner, Torsten Johnson. <laughs> he there. Da, 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 da. I just felt like I saw Space Jam mm-hmm. when he said your name like that. <laughs> so today, we are here to do a little intro to D&D Crash Course, laying down a foundation and covering the basics so you understand what the fuck is going on, and you can really feel like you are on this journey with us and part of the Wind Crit Happens community if you are new to D&D. Yeah. And let me just say, I'm stoked that we're doing this episode. What is this episode? My brainchild? Oh, it's completely your brainchild. It's my brainchild. So if it flops, it's totally <laughs> on me. And like, that's fine. I have a lot of friends that are new to D&D and who've been listening to the podcast, which is incredible, but have had a lot of questions about it. And I know I had a lot of questions. And so we're kind of here to do like a 101 course for you all. Yeah. Just like Kylie is saying, this episode is designed... For people who have very, very little experience with the game, because one of the things we've been hearing from people is, oh, I really enjoy listening to you all. We love your podcast. Oh my gosh, we love it. We keep (laughs) hearing that from people. Wow. Thank you. We do. (laughs) But I don't know what anything about D&D, so it's hard for me to follow. So this is a little bit of an explainer episode so that you can hopefully understand what's going on in Rakhatima. But uh, we also just want you to know that there will be some things that will hopefully be fun even for experienced players. And this 
segment, Crunch of the Dice, we'll in the future definitely get into the crunchiest of the crunch. So you'll definitely want to join us for those. And let's just note how Tor said crunch of the dice so we clearly see where his vote is for what this segment <laughs> is called. Yeah, so since this episode's my brainchild, I'm going to start off and do a little intro and just tell you about what my relationship to D&D has been. My introduction to D&D happened when I met Tor. Go oh, figure. Hi. <laughs> What voice is that? Is that like your 2016? Yeah, this is what I, I sounded like when in 2016. I, oh my gosh. It's not, I promise you. Uh, prior to meeting Tor, I really had no clue what D&D was. So we start dating. I learn he plays D&D. And my first exposure to the game was Tor playing an online campaign with friends. And because I thought he was very sexy and I wanted to spend time with him, I told him he should play at my apartment instead of going home to play. And whoa, what I learned about D&D was it's this crazy intense game where Tor holds up in a room for hours <laughs> and there's books and there's dice everywhere and there's multiple crazy character voices and yelling and you eat snacks and you drink beer. And it's like basically a gamer's version of watching football or something. But for all of you that know me, I'm not that intrigued with football and I wasn't all that intrigued with D&D at first. <laughs> but time changed me. About a year into dating, Tor asked if I wanted to play a one, like one-off one-day campaign with two other couples. And honestly, it felt like very out of my comfort zone, but I typically like to say yes to a new activity, you know, like try everything once. So I said yes. And I don't honestly remember much about it. I think overall, I had a good time. But as a first time player, I found the game very confusing. Because on one hand, there's like, there's no board, at least not in the games that we played. Mm -hmm. yeah, we were playing on Zoom, two people to a computer. So we weren't using Roll20 or anything like that. It was just entirely theater of the mind, just like we do on the podcast. Totally. Yeah, so no board to move across. Like, yeah, as Tor mentioned, like the game plays out all verbally. The landscape of the game feels very vast. Actually, like your character. Oh my God. Yeah, what? I just said we were playing on Zoom, but this was 2016, 2017. So I didn't know playing? Zoom existed. That is really funny. So it like, was like Skype. Google. So we were playing on AOL. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you, you, you know the other thing about that game? I think what? it was Tomb of Horrors. It was right after Tomb of Horrors had been like released for a fifth edition. So we were playing as high level characters. I think it was like eleventh level characters. I don't even remember that. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't remember hardly anything. A lot of extra complexity <laughs> because of how many abilities and things the eleventh level characters have. Well, maybe that adds to why I don't remember much. <laughs> so like, okay, you know, there's all these things you can do in this imaginary world. It feels like the possibilities are endless. But on one hand, there are rules and there are mm. so many books. And <laughs> so it's just like, oh, yeah, you can do anything. But yet, like, there is clearly some structure and the whole thing felt a little bit daunting. Mm -hmm. And I find freedom within structure. I just didn't know what that structure was in the early days. So mm. it was a bit frustrating, I think, at times. Fun and frustrating. After that experience, I had more exposure to D&D through podcasts Tor was listening to, conversations we'd had, more one-off campaigns. But it was really Tor asking if I would be a player on this podcast that I made a commitment to playing D&D. So When Card Happens is my first full-length real campaign. Woo! <laughs> I know. It's like, do I get a badge or something? Like a Girl Scouts patch? <laughs> so all of my newbie questions that I ask during our gameplay are genuine. I literally keep a little list of questions I ask during gameplay. There's like a notes saved on my phone on the notes app. 
where I like list all the questions and the answers I've gotten. And then every time we play, I review the list to make mm. sure I don't ask the same questions over again. Like, what is the help action? Mm. Don't ask me because I can't answer you. I'd have to look at my notes app. <laughs> so my hope is that even if you're new to D&D, you can still enjoy listening to when crit happens. I distinctly remember the feeling of being new. I still feel like I'm new and have no idea what's going on. So I wanted to make sure there was a Patreon episode available to just help bridge the gap. Yeah. I've talked to friends who don't know anything about D&D, but they're interested in playing. And there is definitely a barrier to entry. Mm. It feels like learning how to play this game is an investment of your time. It's one of those activities that is easier to entertain if you have a guide. Mm. So we are here today. To be your guides. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So before I dig into our intro, is there anything else I'm missing, DM, GM? Actually, maybe that's the first question. DM, mm. Dungeon Master. This has come up in our games before. And oh, yeah. GM, Game Master. Game Master, yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. Yeah, no, this, uh, this came up on an episode that I edited recently. So uh, I got curious and did a little bit more research and discovered that like many things in the world of role-playing games... It comes down to copyright because... <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, uh, yeah, like there's so many things. Like in, in D&D, there are halflings, right? Well, they tried to call them hobbits, but mm. in the first editions of the game, they got Tolkien sued. was like, fuck no. Yeah, by the Lord of the Rings. Don't pay $1 million <laughs> if you want to call them hobbits. And I, I looked this one up too, because it's not even that they got sued by like, you know, the Tolkien estate or something. It was Lord like Lord of the Rings Incorporated or something like mm. that. I forget what it's called. But these intellectual properties aren't even, they don't even belong to the original creators of, anymore. But the copyrights are still this like weapon that's wielded. It's mm. like... That's why I think it feels kind of slimy because it's like it'd be one thing if Tolkien said, hey, I created the word Hobbit. Please yeah. don't use that word or his son or something like that. But it wasn't. It was these this other company. That Capitalism. Owned, right. Yeah. Okay. So the same thing is true of Dungeon Masters. It is officially a copyright of Dungeons and Dragons, which is owned by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, so it's. The, the copyright is held by them, even though it was originally created by TSR. Yes, I did dig into the copyright law, and <laughs> I am no expert when it comes to copyright law. But the term game master, I discovered somebody attempted to copyright in 2012, which is kind of funny to me because the term game master is just such a generic, so generic. term. And I, I looked into it. It It is old. That term game master has been used in tabletop role-playing games since the 70s and war games and it probably predates Dungeons and Dragons, which I think is kind of interesting because I wonder if Gary Gygax and, and Dave Arneson, who started D&D, if they knew that term and if they twisted that term into Dungeon Master, which just... It's like a chicken and egg scenario, you know, because I feel like Dungeon Master is now so much more ubiquitous. People who don't even play role-playing games know the term Dungeon totally. Master. Yeah. And so it feels now like, oh, I'm going to say something out of the ordinary. I'm going to use GM instead of DM when it might actually have started, like GM might be the progenitor. And if anyone has worked in the service industry, you can't help but hear GM and be like, oh, the general manager. <laughs> Oh, well, and now, because when I started playing D&D, &D, DM had no other meanings, but now DM has 
a lot of uh, sure. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like this is the first time I'm making this connection. Right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, if if anybody else has more information about all of that, I got kind of <laughs> sucked into it, and I'd love to know more than I was able to determine just from my Google machine. Google machine. But anyway, Kylie, let's uh let's jump into this intro to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, welcome class. Welcome to my class. I hope to be an entertaining and like maybe because it's cold, I'm not sure if it makes me sound like sexy <laughs> or if it just makes me sound contagious. Sultry. Yeah, we're, uh, <laughs> we're both we're both getting over a cold right now. We're both now. getting over a cold. It's perfect timing. Yes, so D D. Intro to D D. D D is a role playing game. Where players are on a quest in an imagined quest. I feel like we need. I know it's like I'm so sorry, Deanna, that you're not here. I know, but this is a couples podcast. This is just the one couples of crits. This is one couple. This is one half. And we're missing Joshua to do the the crunch of the dice voice too. No, he really does have all the voices. voices. But we're gonna come through. Yeah, it'll it'll be more. So D&D is a role-playing game where players are on a quest in an imaginary world that's been constructed by someone who designates themselves as the dungeon master or the game master, as Tor just said. And sometimes the world is created by the imagination of the DM, or a DM can get ideas on how this world looks by referencing D&D books that offer frameworks. I mean, you're talking here about like homebrew versus published material, Yes, and even homebrew, like that phrase. (sighs) I love that phrase. Yeah, there's a ton of jargon, which I feel like homebrew is used in other ways, but like description... Home, homebrew is homebrew. really just like anything that you created at home. So that could be a homebrew rule. Like, oh, hey, we invented this rule for the way that we play this home rule. You know, like you can have that with board games too or whatever. But a homebrew campaign setting is like Rakatima. Rakatima is a setting that we created together and isn't from a published book. We invented the name by twisting different words together that um, cause it kind of includes little Easter <laughs> eggs. Um, yeah, that that's a little hint. There's Easter eggs in the name uh, versus like something that's published by either Wizards of the Coast or by a third party publisher. There's a lot of other creators that will write adventures and create worlds that you can then play in. Uh, but we aren't doing that with with this campaign. This is all stuff that we made up. Totally. Does Wizards of the Coast have other games? Or is it like they created yeah. D&D? Okay. So well, they didn't create D&D, so... Or they own... They own D&D, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that that actually was one of the things that I thought was interesting about the copyright for DM. The copyright for Dungeon Master only dates from 1992, I think, which oh. is when it was owned by TSR, D&D was. Oh, so um, that's a different company. Oh, wait. Different company that used to own D&D. Okay. And then it got bought by, by Wizards of the Coast. Is yeah. it kind of like a Mattel, like... Yeah, so Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. Um, Oh, literally. Okay. Literally owned by the same company that owns Transformers, My Little Pony, all those. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My Little Pony. That took me back first. I like jumped back to the 90s. No, there has been a My Little Pony (laughs) mashup with D&D. Tell your mom they they can't handle it. Yes, you can get My Little Pony dice. No, I can't. Um,. So how does one start playing D&D? This comes up all the time. We have so many friends and family who don't know how to play D&D, and then they ask this question, and then I'm caught on the spot being like, <laughs> I don't know how to answer. So we kind of thought this through for you all today. It starts with a piece of paper. <laughs> your character sheet. It starts with a piece of paper, your character sheet, and a book. The players 
handbook. I also really like the way you're introducing this is like the old school paper and pencil way, like as opposed to talking about all of the various online. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Tor does not <laughs> like. Tor does not like I... Google Maps oh. and Tor does not like <laughs> D&D Beyond. Tor likes an atlas. <laughs> and okay, he you got me. Paper and pencil. Yeah, you got me. Uh, so one of the important things that the player's handbook does is it helps you build your character. And all of this information about your character gets written down on a character sheet for players to reference when playing. So some of the basic steps of building your character are choosing your race. Details like your size, walking speed, languages you speak, abilities you have are all affected by the race you choose. Some of the D&D races are dwarf, elf, halfling, gnome, and the list kind of goes on. Yeah, the, and I'm just going to throw in here because we, we don't use that word much. Mm -hmm. That is the word that's in the published material for 5th mm -hmm. edition, and they are changing it. That's one part of the shift into the new edition, which is already happening, is the use of the word species instead of race and i think that that is a topic that we will dive into more on another episode because there's a totally. lot to say about the issues with bioessentialism in D&D, whether you're saying the word species or race because i think it's sure. all problematic but we're not going to get into that here we're just going to kind of talk through what the rules are yeah so next is class. Your class informs how you interact with the world around you, or it could be described as your calling. This is kind of language taken from the player's handbook that I just like referenced. Yeah, Kylie was was very diligent about doing this so that she's using actual words that yeah. comes from the player's handbook. I understood the assignment. <laughs> so there are 12 plus classes to choose from. The classes the players of Wincred Happen have chosen are Joe is a sorcerer, and this is the description in the player's handbook of a sorcerer. A spellcaster who draws an inherent magic from a gift or bloodline. Jasu is a paladin, a holy warrior bound to a secret oath. And secret? Secret. Ha! <laughs> sacred. <laughs> Jasu is a paladin, a holy warrior bound to a sacred oath. Secret works too, though. Secret's cool. <laughs> and Titan, a bard, an inspiring magician whose power echoes the music of creation. Okay. that That's really funny. I haven't read those descriptions of the classes in a really long time <laughs> because they don't I feel like it's a great example of how these quote-unquote rules and the mechanics and the and the like fodder the imaginative starting points are just that they're inspirations they're prompts for you as as a player because th that description of a bard is so different from what it feels like Joshua is playing totally. as Titan right but it's not like right or wrong how yeah, Joshua exactly. is playing. Because Joshua part. is playing the game mechanics exactly as written. So it's like all of the spells, all of the abilities, all of that kind of stuff is coming out of the book. But it's just the flavor isn't like, oh, I play music in order to cast my spells because totally. I am a bard. It's like, no, it's just like what Joshua is doing. Yeah, totally. Versus like Jasu, a holy warrior bound to a sacred oath. Totally, totally. Jasu. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So the race and class you choose affects things you're able to do in the game, like what weapons you're proficient with, or if you can cast spells, how many you know, how often you can cast them. Another step in building your character is the process of determining your ability scores. So there are six abilities, capital A abilities in D&D. Strength, Dexterity, Constitution, Intelligence, Wisdom, 
and charisma. Yeah, there will be a test on this. So there will be a I'll test. I said it slowly so everyone could process. <laughs> Your character has a score associated with each ability, and you get to choose which will be higher for you or which will be lower, which plays a huge role in giving your character strengths and weaknesses. And there's a few ways to determine what these scores are. In our campaign during episode zero, we rolled dice and then individually got to assign the numbers that were rolled to our abilities. Okay, so this is definitely where I think it gets really confusing. Can get really confusing because it's it's complicated. There's lots of numbers involved. Totally. Can we like do a little example? Sure. Yeah, so like Kylie's saying, in our campaign in episode zero, we rolled numbers and yeah, okay, so here they are. I wrote them down. The numbers that we rolled were 13, 15, 17, 10, 8, and 10. And this is all on a D20. So what we could roll is between a 1 and 20. Uh, right? no. Oh my gosh, no. I would, see, this is why I don't know what the fuck I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, so okay. you want to know which dice we rolled? Yeah. Go back to episode zero. No, but this. which dice did we roll? We rolled four D6s, we lost the smallest one, and we added the highest three D6s. Oh, so we add up numbers. There's, it's fucking complicated. What's the range that can be rolled? So the, like, uh-huh. the, the target zone that you want is like eight through 15. Okay. 17 is super high. So yeah. if you think about that, three D6s, what's the minimum that you could roll? Well, it's three, which would blow. Uh, the max is 18. Okay. So, I think that's super helpful to know. So like the uh-huh. range min to max that can be rolled is three to 18. Yeah. You're typically hitting averages because you're rolling dice. Right. But are, you know, I guess maybe average. Well, yeah. So, and, and because we're rolling four and subtracting and like losing the lowest, it's going to be above average. So like the, the numbers are going to skew high. So you're rarely going to get anything that's you know, below eight. Okay. Eight is pretty low. Yeah. But I guess that's good context. So it's like no yeah. one's rolling a 30. Okay. So the numbers that we rolled had that range of eight through 17. And so then every player got to decide which abilities of those six they wanted to put these numbers into. So Kylie, where did you decide to assign these for Joe? Yeah, totally. Did we read off these numbers too? Yeah. Oh, okay. 13, 15, <laughs> 17, 10, 8, and 10. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I assigned the highest number, 17, to charisma because as a sorcerer, how successful I am at casting my spells is directly affected by my charisma. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's like in the rule book. I didn't make that up. <laughs> and I assigned the lowest score to strength because, well, there's no right or wrong to how people assign things, but kind of as a spellcaster who doesn't have a lot of hit points, which we'll maybe get into that later in the episode, I kind of figured my character wouldn't really want to be like in the combat Mm. close up Mm -hmm. to people with swords. I would want to be a little bit further away casting my spells. And so I just kind of thought maybe, because really it sucks to have to like choose any of your abilities as as like the lowest one. But so it's just like, I think my strength should be the lowest because I think I'm going to be kind of further back, not like shoving into people, Mm -hmm. using my brute force to attack people. I'm going to be casting spells from far away. So I chose the eight for that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So you you put the numbers where you wanted. And then, you know, there's a couple other things that go into your final numbers, including which race you chose. You were using half elf stats. So that affected it a little bit. And then we get to the really confusing bit, which I don't really want to get into the math of it. But basically, these ability scores don't 
come into the gameplay, really. We just use the smaller number called a modifier, which comes from the ability score. So based on the ability scores that Joe chose, the modifiers end up being a minus one for strength, because it's that eight, so it's bad, it's below 10, so it's minus one, plus two for dexterity, plus two for constitution, plus one for intelligence, plus zero for wisdom, and a whopping plus four for charisma. One of the ones that is difficult for Joe is my strength mm. is negative one. Yeah. So I am below average in strength. So anytime Joe has to, I haven't had to do this, but if, if I had to move a boulder right. and Tor said, okay, roll roll your D20 for your ability, and I rolled a 10, well, now I'm having to minus one yeah, because exactly. I'm below average at that skill. And so these modifiers during gameplay are what get added to the die rolls for all sorts of things, like attack rolls or spells or saving throws, skill checks, um, and there's other class-specific stuff that use these modifiers all the time. Totally. And going back to skills checks, so there are 18 skills that are listed on our character sheet, and you will hear Tor, our DM, um, and the players request to do a skill check throughout the game. So an example of this, if you listen to, our, I think this is just our most recent episode out, when Titan went to grab the staff in episode six to make sure it wasn't Indiana Jones booby-trapped, they asked to do a perception check. Mm. Perception is one of the 18 skills and how good you are at perception is affected by your wisdom modifier. It's directly tied to one of those abilities. And then there's, if you're proficient in it, you get to add stuff and there's other stuff that goes into it. But you can tell that these, I mean, just the word perception, right? It's kind of vague and it's intentionally kind of vague. It's open to interpretation. It's, and by that, I mean like, what does perceive mean? It's basically like, what can you see, hear, smell, taste, feel? Mm -hmm. And so it l gives us, the players, a bunch of room for interpretation. And it offers Jasu an opportunity to use your nose to like, <laughs> totally. you know, get advantage, which is awesome too. Advantage, by the way, roll two d20s and take the better. Which I think too, perception, like it feels intentionally vague because I think it also, this is the first time I thought about this. I think mm. this is, I think it allows the DM some agency to like decide what do what do they want the characters to perceive yeah. and because it's vague it's not just like it's not just what what do i see around me like mm -hmm. as the dm you're given a little bit more agency and so these things can come up in lots of ways like sometimes the players will be just totally in the role play and they'll be like man yeah i look around and so then as the dm it's like okay you look around awesome give me a perception check other times players will be like you know, I, I feel like I need to mechanically know what's going on here because maybe something's going to jump out and grab me. DM, can I make a perception check? So it'll come up in, in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. Other times I might prompt it. I might be like, all right, they're walking down the hall right now. This is a moment where I just want everybody to make a perception check. And I'll usually try to tie it into the story somehow. Um, like, ooh, a cold wind blows through. <laughs> you go on alert, make a perception check. Yeah, cool. Cool. So I feel like we just went through a bunch of the the basics of character creation, which I think covers a lot of the bases of intro to D&D, &D, right? Like you choose your race, you choose your class, and you create your ability scores. Yeah, no, I think so. I feel like the purpose of today, at least for me, like the goal of this episode was just to give like an overview 
and to answer some questions and ideally not create too many other questions (laughs) because there are YouTube videos, podcasts out there that you could listen to about like how to build a character that are so long. And so this is really Mm -hmm. like, this is why this is like the 101 survey course (laughs) of D&D because like obviously we know you're not going to be able to walk away being like, oh, and now I can play D&D and build a character. Like there is more to do, but yeah, just wanting to lay the foundation of some of the basics. Here's Okay, so here's another thing that I feel like might be useful is if we talk a little bit about the different kinds of dice. Sure. So there are seven different kinds of dice in Dungeons & Dragons. The D20, 20-sided die, is the one that we use a lot. Mm-hmm. The D12, the D10, the D8, the D6, the D4, and the D100. And yes... There are 100-sided dice. That's crazy. That exists. (laughs) But most of the time, we use two 10-sided dice and roll one of them for the 10s place and one for the 1s place. Mm. Um, That still throws me off to this day. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) So the the D20, though, is the most common, and that is what we use for attack rolls, saving throws, skill checks, most of the like base abilities that you want to do. If you want to do something in D&D or you're forced to do something to respond to what's going on around you, it's probably going to be a D20. Mm-hmm. And then the other dice are used to determine other stuff, like how much damage you do. So like a D20 will be used to figure out if you hit. That's what an attack roll is. Do you hit or not? Mm-hmm. And then if you do hit, you roll a different die to figure out what the damage is. And there's other stuff that those other dice are used for too, like titan's bardic inspiration i think is a good example it's a d6 right now but that'll change as they get higher in level their bardic inspiration will become a larger a larger die a die with more sides Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like there's a lot of rules right like kylie was just saying you could spend a lifetime maybe not a lifetime but actually no you can you can spend a lifetime expanding upon these rules and diving into them because that's exactly what they are it's a framework upon which complexity is then built. Mm -hmm. So like this framework though is actually, it's not as big as it might feel. Like the the player's handbook is a big like textbook size book, right? But the core rules only take up like eight pages in the middle of it. And all the rest of it is more like a reference book that is telling you the specific abilities that a certain class has or the statistics for this weapon versus that weapon. Sure. So it's all of the like extra complexity on top of what foundationally is like pretty simple. And so one of the ways that you can learn how to play the game is by playing as really, really low level characters. I mean like first level characters have some abilities, right? You had to choose your class. And so that gives you some like features and traits. Sometimes people though will play as zero level characters just to play with no class abilities to like really just feel what the base mechanics of the game are without any of the extra stuff. Yeah, and like I'm grappling with this as Joe right now. Like as, are we level three now? Yeah. As we level up, I learn more spells, Mm -hmm. which is just more I have to remember. Now granted, (laughs) I have a character sheet and I put my spells on the character sheet, but that's just like an example of like, as you level up, there's more things you have to remember. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that is the one thing that I will say. The looking up spells in the books, so labor intensive. 
an online Are you saying you directory like D&D for spells. Is, is this an ad amazing. for D&D Beyond? Not for <laughs> D&D Beyond necessarily. Any <laughs> digital compendium is is worth it. Uh, anyway, I feel like it would be great to transition and talk about some questions from listeners because we, we got some questions from you, our listeners. Yes, no, totally. Let's do it. This isn't a direct question, but one of the things that came up from a community member that had listened that was not familiar with D&D, they didn't realize that we were <laughs> that we were like four adults just sitting on Zoom not looking at anything. Like they thought that a lot of the things we were saying uh-huh. had something to do with like a board game or oh. something virtually we were like watching on our computer that we were talking about. So like when you're describing the mountain, the cliff edge that June is scaling and you're mm-hmm. describing how it looks that that was like something you were looking at on your computer That's not that awesome. like it is literally all just happening yeah. in, our in our imaginations, imaginations. which isn't a question but it was just kind no, of like one yeah. of the many things that prompted the desire for this episode it was just yeah to that's, explain what we're doing great. here yeah so Kylie you want to read the yeah. first question uh, so what is the origin of D&D the origin of D&D great question I'm just going to do like my best off the top of my head answer yeah because fun fact D&D the lore is that it was born in Lake Geneva Wisconsin home of the Playboys and Dungeons and Dragons the Playboys isn't what? that well okay not home of the Playboy Mansion the first original what? Playboy Mansion no, was I don't in Lake know Geneva. About that. what that is like why Lake I think it's like one of the reasons why Lake Geneva is kind of on the map because the resort What's that? What's his name? Hugh Hugh Hef- Hefner. Hefner. There's something no. about yes. There is something about how like his old place is now. I might be totally misremembering this, <laughs> but like the resort that's there, I think that either was the old mansion or was an expansion of it, or was just like came about because it was a popular. It became popular because the Playboy Mansion. The was mansion there. expansion. Yeah. The mansion expansion. Uh, yeah, it is. It is the the spiritual birthplace of. Cool. of Dungeons and Dragons. Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson are often, are usually credited with uh, being the primary creators of, of the game. So two nerds in a basement. I'm just kidding. In Wisconsin. Totally and kidding. Kylie and I are both from Wisconsin. Oh, and Lake Geneva is like right up the road from where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Uh, <laughs> so by two people with imagination. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, two people with imagination in Wisconsin. And, uh, and, and it came out of wargaming. So I, I do think that that can be a, a useful thing to remember sometimes mm. because it's like it came from people playing with these large armies represented by little miniatures on tabletops using dice and statistics in order to like have these tactical battles with each other. And then they were like, what if we whittle it down to one character instead of an army? And then you get to start role playing as that character and not sure. just like play general to masses of troops. But I think it can be useful to remember that D and D came from wargaming because a lot of the abilities, character creation is all focused around what you do in combat, right? And so there's a reason for that. D and D has its roots in combat-oriented wargaming, and it's just a useful thing to remember. Cool. Next question: Is the lore a book series? <laughs> ah, the lore. How flattering uh, of a question. Yeah, is our lore for our <laughs> campaign of books. It maybe can be if you want to write the book. Lore is usually, it's. I think it's not exclusive to D&D. A lot of fantasy and genre stuff 
lore is the term that's often used for whatever this made-up stories are about this made-up place. Mm -hmm. And so what is the story behind the this fictional world? But no, there's no lore book series for Rakhatima, although there are definitely novels written about other places that get featured in D&D campaigns and, and worlds and published adventures. But I, I don't think there's, at least I haven't heard of anything that's just called like the lore book series. But well, and I, I think too, it, this comes up, the players, we the players ask Tor this question, what is the lore mm -hmm. a lot in the game? Because especially early on in the campaign, we're trying to gain an understanding of like, what is known, not known, normal, not normal in the world. So it might come up like, I think this came up in one of our first episodes. Maybe it was cut. But like, are there cell phones? Maybe that's not like a great lore mm. question. Yeah. <laughs> but just like kind of the background of the world yeah. um, that we end up asking a lot. So we kind of know as characters, you know, what can Joe pull out of her fanny pack? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Next question. What are hit points? What are hit points? <laughs> yeah. Points of hit. A numerical representation <laughs> of your health. It's, it's like how much health you have. So it's like yeah. a number and every character has a different number based on their statistics, constitution, the class that they chose, because you roll a die when you're leveling up to figure out how many more hit points you're going to have at that next level. And so like if you get a good die roll, you might have more hit points as a character. But then when you take damage during combat or something like that, then you lose those hit points. And so when you get to zero, you're Dead. out of it. Well, you're unconscious is what they Oops, say. Don't honor. listen to me. <laughs> I can't be trusted. Awesome. Next question. Does the DM have a general plan for the game? Like an end goal mm. or some sort of source? Wait, like an end goal of some sort or is a story built as you go? This is so individual. Game to game, DM to DM. Some DMs are huge improvisers. Other people will have everything plotted out. I will say that I prefer to have something in the middle, like some framework in place, mm. but to be very flexible and not to get too rigid in what I think is going to happen because then it can be tempting to like force the players to go down a path and sure. I don't want to do that. I want to let them decide where, where to take it. So it, it really depends. But like, I mean, people will run games that are published adventures in a book, right? So you, it's printed on the page. There's a pretty good plan in place. But how it happens is always going to be unique from table to table. Mm. Cool. Next question. Oh, this is a tricky one. How do rounds and turns work? Because typically mm. people act in order, but it's all happening simultaneously. This is this is a crunchy one. Yeah. Nice, good, crunchy question. There's a lot of different levels on which you can answer this question. So I, this is a good one to end on. So rounds and turns... Yes, people are acting in order, but it's simultaneous, I guess. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go to the player's handbook here and read the rule. Because like I said, there's not actually a lot of like hard rules in the core mechanics, but this is this is what it says. The order of combat. A typical combat encounter is a clash between two sides, a flurry of weapon swings, feints, parries, footwork, and spellcasting. The game organizes the chaos of combat into a cycle of rounds and turns. A round represents about six seconds in the game world. During a round, each participant in a battle takes a turn. The order of turns is determined at the beginning of a combat encounter when everyone rolls initiative. 
Once everyone has taken a turn, the fight continues to the next round if neither side has defeated the other. Cool. Okay, so there's a lot there, even though the first sentence is fluff. Anyway, what this is telling us is that we have a round of combat, which is about six seconds long, which I, I saw a post. I'm going to look this up too now. So if you if you follow Sage Advice or uh, Jeremy Crawford, who is one of the rules designers for D&D, he gives some really great insights that go back to these rules. It's like he doesn't dictate things generally. They're like, I made the rule, it's this. It's, it's like they always go back to these specific wordings. Um, the wordings are important. So, it, and, and one of the things that he says is a turn isn't six seconds, a round is. Even a round isn't precisely six seconds. The rule intentionally says, quote, about six seconds, unquote. A round contains multiple turns. Turns are assumed to have variable lengths within the round framework. So crazy. This one, this one kind of changed things for me because if the round is six seconds, but you're not assuming that each turn is six seconds, then it's like, oh, maybe that can help me imagine things happening simultaneously because like this person's turn only lasts two seconds and that person's turn lasts three seconds. But also don't try to math it out that way because that's going to be a mess because really the short answer to this question is, <laughs> this is what I should have started with. The short answer to this question is, don't think too hard about it. Yes, it's confusing. Yes, it's going to seem contradictory if you try to really like lay it all out. Mm -hmm. So just don't think too hard about it. If you play it out more like a movie and you just like tell an epic story of, oh, this thing happens and then this person responds that way and then they do this, that's usually cleaner for the mechanics. You have your order in the initiative and you get to take your turn. And when it's your turn, other people don't just get to randomly go, right? But these things are supposedly happening simultaneously. So don't think too hard about it. Tell the story in an engaging way for you that includes all of these actions, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to take it a step further into the complexity because I also, and you'll notice that we do this, I intentionally do this in, in the podcast and this is how I like to play. I don't like to restrict the round to six seconds of dialogue, specifically dialogue, because dialogue takes a long time and it's narratively engaging and it's really interesting. And I think it's a great way to blend role play and combat. Because sometimes there's this dichotomy that can kind of like pop up where it feels like, oh, role playing is different than combat and when we're in combat we have stopped role-playing and I I want to find ways in D&D &D specifically because D&D &D is combat oriented which we've talked about just it mechanically lends itself to combat happening mm -hmm. ways for that combat to include story development and character development and characters trying to negotiate things with the person that they're in conflict with and so the conflict is articulating itself through the you know, the attack roles that are happening, but also through the conversation and trying to learn new things and uh, explore the world within the combat. Okay, so that's, uh, that, that's, that's a very long answer to a deep question that we could probably keep talking about even more because we haven't even talked about things like surprise and positioning and all of that. But round about six seconds. Yes, the turns happen in order based on your initiative role. 
and don't think too hard about it. Okay. That's a great one to end on. I think so. There's even some questions that we didn't get to that people have asked. I, yeah. I think we might have touched on some of them in the main introduction, but uh, but we will do more of these. And so if there are questions that you have that are really uh, holding up your understanding, feel free to just get in touch with us too. You totally. DM us on Instagram. DM us. Get it? DM us. Hey. You can email us too. We have an email. When yeah, happens at gmail.com. What else? These segments will probably get a little bit thicker. And by thicker, I mean crunchier. We will get a crunch wrap supreme going yeah, for Yeah, this was Kylie's version. This was like I took over and was like, nah, I'm going to need like a basics. There, um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I, the, the word crunch because that's another piece of jargon, right? Kylie, do you- I don't even know. I don't even know that, that jargon. Cr- right, crunch, <laughs> crunchiness. Because crunchiness is a term that's used in D&D anyway, and I think other games too, for like how rules intensive it is, like how mm. how much- Like how, how many... much of a stickler for rules? Like how- Kind of, but then here's what I kind of realized. Mm. Oh, it's how many numbers you have to crunch. Like oh my gosh, of how, course. Right? Of course. So like- when when you think of something as quote unquote crunchy, it's because oh you have to do even more math. Oh my gosh, this is perfect. So this is why this one is yeah. called the crunch of the die <laughs> because <laughs> it's, there's fewer numbers because it's the basics, and then as gotcha. we progress, it's crunch of the dice. And yeah, right. This is the first episode, so it's the yes. Oh my gosh, die. it's perfect. Okay, that makes me feel really happy. Boom. On that note, plugs. Can I plug Joshua's show because we're quite even excited? Though this is part. This is. Joshua tonight is on stage because he is doing a show called The Arden of Favisham. Yeah, we have like the fun opportunity to be able to plug something. And by the time you listen to this, it may still be happening. Right, because we record our main episode so far in advance. But this Patreon episode hopefully will come out this week. Yeah, so if you're in New York... Red Bull Theater runs till I think April first. Yeah, it's so at the you Lucille can, like, Yeah, you can see Joshua IRL. Yes. Um, cool. All right. All right, everybody. This is super fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed the show, everyone. This episode was first released on our Patreon, where exclusive content drops every week. So if you like what you hear head over to patreon.com slash happens to get access to more, including next week when patrons will get a D&D double date episode. And we'll be back on our normal schedule with main feed episodes every other Wednesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>